In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And the crowd was pressing in on Jesus and listening to the Word of God. He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. He saw two boats there alongside the lake. The fishermen had disembarked and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, the one that belonged to Simon, he asked him to put out a short distance from the shore. And he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. After he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and lower your nets for a catch. Simon said in reply, Master, we have worked hard all night and have caught nothing, but at your command I will lower the nets. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets were tearing. They singled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so that they were in danger of sinking. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at his knees, at the knees of Jesus and said, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For astonishment at the catch of fish they had made seized them and all those with him. And likewise, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners of Simon, said, Jesus said, sorry, Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. When they brought their boats to the shore, they left everything and followed him. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, <clears throat> you sent your son into the world. When he came, he said to us rather regretfully, I have come to set fire to the earth and how I wish it were already blazing. In the face of this, Lord, we are but small candles illumining ourselves, but not passing the light and the heat to others. Send forth your spirit upon this group tonight and take those small flames and fan them into great fires. Fires that has passion to live for you, to live for others. But most importantly, to know you personally, which is the greatest good on this earth. We ask this through the intercession of Our Lady, who knew you more intimately than anyone has ever known you. As we pray together, Hail Mary. Full of grace. Blessed is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, <clears throat> Amen. I was uh, I recently read an article about a coach. I think he was the coach at Georgia Southern. His name was Irk Russell. I don't know who names their kid Irk, E R K. <clears throat> uh, but he was apparently one of the most winning coaches in the '80s. Anyway, he also had ways, very unique ways, of teaching his uh, players uh, a lesson or a truth about team leadership, about whatever. So one, one year he had a bunch of really cocky freshmen, rookies. And all these, all these guys came in and they were really, it was, he noticed right away that there was a lot of struggle with like, these guys really thought they didn't need anybody, right? These are kind of like your Kobe Bryants, right? Your uh, Allen Iversons, for those of you who remember him. Uh, you know, people are just like, I don't know, you know, practice? Who needs practice? Right? We're even talking about a game here. We're talking about practice. <clears throat> That's the kind of guys that he was dealing with when they were freshmen in college. And so he said he, he brought them all into a big, into the locker room. And there were two guys in the locker room. <clears throat> there was a man that was just kind of as a farmer, you know, kind of rags, overalls. And he had a, a burlap sack. And there was a police officer with a briefcase. And he, he brought all the, all the boys in, sat them down, <clears throat> and then he locked all the doors. He had the key, so they couldn't get out. <clears throat> and he said, uh, he said, 
boys, I want to teach you a lesson today. Um, so he's like, uh, officer, would you please show us what's in the bag? And uh, the officer, or the briefcase, the officer puts his briefcase down, pops it open, pulls out a little bag, a little Ziploc bag full of white powder. Say, anybody know what this is? You know, and some of the guys are like, yeah, coach, that's cocaine, man. And he's like, what's the big deal with that? He's like, cops aren't supposed to have that. We are. You know, like they're all joking around. He's like, anybody afraid of this? And they're like, no way, man. He's like, you can get that on campus. What's the big deal? He's like, what are you trying to show us anyway, coach? He's like, no, no, just go ahead and put that away. Thank you, officer. <clears throat> officer closes it. And he says to the farmer, he's like, hey, uh, John, why don't you show the boys what's in your bag? And he's like, okay. And he takes open the bag and empties it, and out comes three diamondback rattlesnakes. <clears throat> and the kids freak. All these guys start running, and the snakes, like, fall off, right, off of the table, and they're kind of slithering, and they're like, what the hell are you doing, man? Like, this is insane. And then they go to the doors, and guess what? Doors are locked. <clears throat> they're like, coach, what is the matter with you? And he's like, anybody know what that is? <laughs> they're like, that's a rattlesnake, coach. And he's like, you're going to kill us. And he's like, anybody afraid of that? And they're like, yeah, like, put it away. You know, so he says, the motions of the farmer. Farmer comes over his little snake stick thing, you know, puts him back in the bag. He said, all right, boys, sit down. <clears throat> this is the real wisdom of this coach. He said to him, he said, you are comfortable with things that are incredibly dangerous, but you are terrified of things that can hardly hurt you. He said, in a given year, 0.0004 people die from rattlesnake bites. But millions of families and millions of lives every year are torn apart by drugs. And then he said this. What is what separates you from, sorry, what is separating you from your goal? What you think is your weakness. If you don't know what that is, it is an incredible block to your life. So if you don't know what's going to separate you from your goals, you're in a very dangerous position. Okay? Now, the question is, your goal, what I hope is your goal, is to be a saint. <clears throat> Do you know what is blocking you from that goal? Because if you don't, you're in a really dangerous position. And you don't understand the life of sanctity. I think what is blocking most of us from this goal is not our sin. It's not our weaknesses. <clears throat> John Paul II, my buddy, he said... Uh, it is not so much that we are afraid of our weaknesses as we are afraid of our greatness. We're afraid of our greatness. You know, I think that Christians, we don't, I don't think a lot of Christians lose their soul because they do evil. It's because they don't do any good. <clears throat> I really believe that like most Christians in the world really want to avoid evil. They really do. I mean, you would think right now that the state of affairs is that, like, everybody wants to be sinful. <laughs> everybody wants to go to hell. And we're all in the same boat, <clears throat> you know? I once saw this. It was awesome. I once saw this truck. It was driving. And on the bumper sticker on the back, he's like, he's like, uh, he's like, where are we? What was it? What he said? Where are we going? And why am I in a handbasket? <clears throat> you ever heard that saying, you know? Going to hell in a handbasket? <clears throat> anyway, okay, forget it. <laughs> be a little too old for that one. <clears throat> 
But anyway, I mean, we, we neglect to do good. You hear this over and over and over in the scriptures as well. Jesus is always saying, you know, you didn't do this or you didn't do that. His standard, right? His standard is in Matthew 25, I think, where he says, when I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you, or when I was sick, you took care of me. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. And they're like, when did we do this, Lord? He said, whenever you did it to the least of my people, you did it to me. And then the other ones, he says, you depart into the eternal fire. Why? Because of all the terrible things they did? No, because of the good they failed to do. You didn't feed me. You didn't give me to drink. You didn't visit me. That's his standard. Think about the story of the talents. The, talent, the guy with one talent, what did he do? Nothing. He did nothing. He, took his, he didn't do anything bad with it. It's not like he took, took his talent and went out and bought a bunch of drugs and sold them. Hey, look how much more money I made for you. He didn't do anything with it. That's why when he comes back, he said, the least you could have done is put it in the bank. You worthless servant. I love, I love when we have gospels like that. And he's like, you know, it'd be like, there was wailing and grinding of teeth. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. You know, like, I'm, I'm like, are we really listening to what's being proclaimed? Or like, take that worthless servant and cast him out into the darkness, you know, or into the lake of fire. And everybody's like, praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, I mean, it's real. Listen, it happens. Especially it happens when we get around the, Christ the King, right? Right before Advent. It's all this end time sort of stuff. It's hilarious. I love it. And people just, people aren't paying attention. They can't be. Or they wouldn't say that emphatically, praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. They're not listening to what he's saying. So it's, it's not enough just to avoid evil. You ever, guys, you, ever, you ever feel like you're always just trying to avoid evil? Trying to avoid so much evil that you never do enough good? I mean, I feel like right now, you know, Jesus said, he said, the, the gates of hell will not prevail against us. And oftentimes I feel like, you know, like we're like backed into a corner, like just trying to defend ourselves. I mean, we got to be starting to do more good, okay? Most of my, my retreats, again, I don't know what your guys' retreats are like. Some of this is your first retreat. But, you know, it deals with, like, not so much the evil that I commit, but how far I've fallen from the good that Christ has asked me to do. That's a, it's an important distinction. And, you know, it's just, I, I think the most chilling, to me, the most chilling and maybe it's because I'm a priest, but the most chilling words in Scripture are when they come to the door of the wedding feast. Jesus himself is telling us this story. Second person of the Blessed Trinity, God incarnate. And he says, they come to the wedding feast and he locks the door and they, they knock, they pound on the door. They're in the darkness. And they say, Lord, Lord, let us in. And they, <laughs> Just like that. And I'm like, no, shut up. We're in the middle of a retreat. <laughs> this is great. They're getting ready for their talent show, hopefully. Anyway, and he said, they say, Lord, 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 let us in. And he says, this is the most chilling words. Because they say, we worked miracles in your name. We preached in your name. And he says, depart from me because I do not know you. I do not know you. <clears throat> What's he trying to say here? He's trying to say that we can do all types of stuff in his name. We can do all types of pious devotions. 
We can kneel for 24 hours at a time. <laughs> this is awesome. But if we don't... <laughs> but if we don't... <laughs> killing my talk. You gotta roll with it. You gotta roll with it. That's what we're talking about. I don't know what Jesus is trying to tell us, but we're gonna roll with it. But he's trying to tell us that the most important thing for us in this life is to know him. It's to know him. There is no... Write this down. Tattoo it on your forehead. There is no greater good in this world than to know Jesus Christ. That is the greatest good that exists in this world. And it scripturally is said to us over and over and over again. Okay? So that's where we're going to start. So we must pray. Because wherever you spend your time is what you're going to get to know. You have to learn to waste time with him. The saints were like time waster extraordinaires. They sat in chapels. They sat before the Blessed Sacrament. They just were there, wasting time with the Lord. Okay? Because wherever you spend your time is what you will get to know. I I have this uh, buddy. He has these dogs. We go hunting every year on this. It's called the clergy hunt. And uh, it's great. All the priests go. Even the old guys, the retired guys, they're the best. Because they like they they just shoot at random stuff. Because they're so senile that they just don't care anymore. You know, so like you can only shoot roosters in, with when you're pheasant hunting. And uh, I was saying to him like you so you you shout you shout when the bird flies over you shout rooster so you know you should shoot it. If it's not you shout hen so you don't shoot the bird. And I'm standing next to good old George Ducart. God rest his soul. He died uh, last year. But he was like sitting there and he's got his gun. You know and he can barely stand. And I'm like, first, this guy should not have a gun, <laughs> you know? And he's, and he's sitting there, and, and all of a sudden, the birds fly over the top. And, and, and then Bill Rushford is right next door, and, or right next uh, to him. And Bill was in, Father Bill Rushford, God rest his soul, he was in the war. He was in World War II. And so everything's about the war. Everything. So, like, when guns go off, he's reminded of the war. And so, like, this whole flock of hens comes flying over the top of us. And I'm like, hen! And Rush was like, boom! And I'm like, hen! Boom, boom! I'm like, hen! And, and you no, know, Ducard's like... <laughs> you know, it's, it's just hilarious. And then, he, you know, George, he's like, God rest his soul, he, he lost his gun at some point. Everybody's like, George, where's your gun? He's like, I don't know. We found it in the house, loaded with the safety off. So I'm like... Guys, I think we should have a meeting. Like, maybe we should kick George off the island. <laughs> I think he should hunt anymore. But anyway, Jason comes along. He's this young guy. He's got these dogs. And they're the greatest dogs I have ever hunted with in my entire life. And this last year, he spends copious amounts of time with this dog, these dogs. This last year, he had his son take... It was pitch black outside with just these little lights on out in the field. He took a toy. The dog was still in the truck. He took a toy, this little toy. Ran it out about 500 yards and put it behind this little, like, fence post, okay? After... <laughs> this is the greatest talk I've ever given. I mean, for me. I don't know if it is for you. They're cheering for you. Yeah, I know. I, I, I'm, I'm loving it. <clears throat> so, anyway, they put it out there. and he, So he gets the dog out. And I think it was... What was his name? What kind of dog? Uh, yeah, really important. That is, it's a yellow lab. <clears throat> And uh, so he has the dog, and he sits, he sits uh, right next to him. He sits down. And uh, 
he says to him, he said, I think it was Rusty. He's like, Rust, or Rowdy. That's what it was. He's like, Rowdy. He's like, check this out. He's like, front. And the dog just sits there. And he's like, side. Dog just sits there and he's like, back. Boom. I mean, the thing took off at like Mach 10. He was going so fast. And then he just blew his whistle once. The dog stopped, turned around, sat and looked at him. And he's like, Rowdy. And the dog took off. And he blows his whistle, dog stops, looks at him. And he systematically guided this dog into the toy. And he got right to the fence post and he, he, blew, his, he blew his whistle twice. And the dog sat there, blew it three times, dog picked it up and ran it in. <clears throat> now, that is an amazing thing. But you know how much time he spends every day with his dogs? Three hours. Three hours. He gets done with, he gets done with his work and he comes home. And him and his boys, for, for that sake. He's with his boys for three hours. They spend with, with, their, uh, with their dogs. It's amazing. <laughs> we don't know. That's hilarious. <laughs> so the, this, move, this moving to another location is about petting out of <laughs> So here's the thing. <laughs> They've got to be in the hot tub, right? They'll be outside. No, they're not in the hot tub running outside. <laughs> anyway. I'm just going to keep rolling with it. <clears throat> so. We have to spend time. If you don't spend time, you don't know him. I mean, that's how you get to know people is you spend time with them. And I say, you know, I think it doesn't matter if you don't feel anything. It's very important to know. Actually, this is the only original quote that I ever came up with, I think. And that is, love loves for love's sake. (laughs) Love loves for love's sake. It doesn't love because it gets something. It loves for its own sake. To help you further understand this, I want to give you a quote from uh, Henry Nouwen. He's a modern-day theologian, but I came across this quote on my 30-day retreat, and it changed my life. He said, Why should I spend an hour in prayer when I do nothing but think about women I could marry, friends, books I could write, people that annoy me, and all those silly things that grab my mind? My mind is never centered on God, it seems. The answer is this, because God is greater than my mind and my heart. And what is really happening in the house of prayer is not measurable in terms of human success or human failure. What I must do, first of all, is to be faithful. If I believe, and I mean really believe, that the first commandment is to love God with my whole heart, mind, and soul, then I should at least be able to spend one hour a day with nobody else but him. The question as to whether it is helpful, useful, practical, or fruitful is completely irrelevant, since the only reason to love is love itself. Everything else is secondary. The remarkable thing, however, is that sitting in the presence of God for one hour each morning, day after day, week after week, month after month, in total confusion and with myriad distractions, radically changes my life. God, who loves me so much, that he sent his only son not to condemn me, but to save me. Does not leave me waiting in the dark too long. I might think that each hour is useless, 
But after 30 or 60 or 90 such useless hours, I gradually realized that I am not as alone as I thought. A very small, gentle voice has been speaking to me far beyond my noisy place. This is great. Because I've been, you guys, I've been thinking about this the entire retreat. Because we have been been surrounded by nothing but distraction. That even, that this is a a, a microcosm of your lives. This is a microcosm of your lives. And that if, you, if we can't separate ourselves and get away from it, even when, that, even when we're here and we're trying to be quiet, that noise is still around us. There's something very powerful trying to be proven to us and showed to us, I think, on this retreat. That the necessity, like this, this noise that you're hearing, we hear it periodically throughout our days. This is the incessant noise of the world that never stops. It never ceases. It is constantly going. And I think what the Lord maybe is trying to show, at least this is what I've been praying about it actually quite a bit, is that how necessary this one hour a day is in complete silence. Because if this is a microcosm, what we're doing right now of a holy hour in our worldly life, think how much we actually must need it. Blaise Pascal said that the, aver- the problems of the world would be solved if humanity could spend 30 minutes in their room, quiet and alone. The world's problems would be solved if human beings could spend 30 minutes in quiet by themselves every day. And again, what Father Nowen is saying is whether it's useful or it doesn't matter. He's called us to be faithful. Remember, there was one thing that the Lord asked of his disciples. One thing he asked just for himself. What was the one thing he asked just for himself in all of the Gospels from his disciples? Could you not be with me for one hour? Could you not be with me for one hour? <clears throat> it's the only time he asked them to do something just for him. Pray with me. Pray with me. And they couldn't do it. And what happened when they didn't do it? They fell away. You guys, these things, are, I mean, they're not just like nice stories in the scriptures. They're, they're meant to teach us something, something serious. That if we don't pray, we will fall away. There, I just came up with another one. That's another great saying. If we don't pray, we will fall away. It's just, it's just a given. It's, it's scripture. It's taught to us. Okay? Again, I think it's, uh, sorry, I got a little lost. I think another reason that we're not, um, I think that we don't have great desires, we're not driven to more, is because we can constantly just change our environment. If we need to change something, we were talking, the guys I drove up with on on, uh, Friday, we were talking about this. If something's wrong in your life, you just change your environment. You don't change yourself. Back in the day, I mean, my grandma, God rest her soul, but like she would, like if I had a hole in my jeans, I'm like, yeah, throw them away. And she's like, no, no, we'll patch them. You know, and so whenever I went to grandma's, I looked like this, you know, a poor kid with all these patches all over my pants. As soon as I got home, I threw them away and got a new pair. My grandma would also can stuff. You guys ever remember canning? What a lost art that's been. I love canning. 
And that doesn't sound very manly, but cannon's awesome. <laughs> it is. You can, like, stuff stays in jars for years. And my grandma would can everything. You know, it'd be like a little bit of roast beef left over. She's like, let's can it. Like, I don't think you could can that, Grandma. But isn't that interesting that they were called the great generation? Right? <clears throat> that generation, they, they lived through hell. And they couldn't change their environment. They had to change. When stuff broke, they had to fix it. Because they didn't have enough money to buy anything else. Now if it's broke, we throw it. And that just carries over into our lives. Relationships are broken, get rid of them. You know, I don't need to work at it. I don't need to fix it. I just need to get rid of it. It's really incredible, you guys, the kind of living, the, the living that we, or the life that we're living right now. I mean, that generation, the great generation, they thrived on adversity. They thrived on adversity. We merely survive. And Jesus did not come for us just to survive. He came to set us on fire. And this only happens when we have great desires. I once heard a talk, and in that talk it said, I'm going to shut this. You guys, you're not going to get too hot, are you? <clears throat> in this talk, he said, um, the most important thing is to know the most important thing, and then to make the most important thing the most important thing. That's deep. <laughs> the most important thing is to know the most important thing and then to, make the mo to keep the most important thing the most important thing. Okay? So what is the most important thing? It's our relationship with Jesus Christ. And if that is the most important thing, then we must foster that every single day. And not just minimally, maximum. The maximum amount of time. I don't know, I've, sometimes, I've told this story often, maybe you've heard it, some of you, but Deacon James Keating, <clears throat> uh, just an amazing man, he's a theologian down in Omaha, and uh, his wife, one day, he was working on his doctorate, and he was getting all, you know, this degree, and they had been married like five years, and uh, came to this point where he would, he would get up early, and he'd come home late, and he, you know, before he left, he'd kiss his wife, and he's like, God, I love you, you know, I gotta go, I gotta get to work. And uh, she just finally had it one day. And uh, she, you know, came home and kissed her goodnight. And she, he thought she was asleep. And she, like, leaned over and she's like, Jim, I want to meet tomorrow at 5 o'clock. She's like, Deacon Keen's like, well, why? And he's like, I just want to spend an hour together and talk. He's like, yeah, but my, but my doctorate. And he's like, Jim, either you'll be there or I won't. And he says, and because I was afraid of my wife, I showed up. <laughs> and he said, when I showed up, there was a, a seven and seven, seven up with Seagram seven, and a little bowl of pretzels. Because I like pretzels and that was my favorite drink. And then she started to talk and talk and talk. And I don't even know what she said, nor did I care. And she just talked and talked for about 25 minutes. And then she said, Jim, how was your day? And he said, well, I didn't get to work on my doctorate as long as I wanted to. She's like, is that everything? He said, yep. She's like, well, I guess we're done. He's like, I thought you said we were talking for an hour. She's like, well, you don't have anything to say. There's no point in keep on talking. He's like, fine. And he gets up and he's walking away and she says, oh, and Jim, tomorrow, five o'clock, one hour. 
And he said, after a week, I ate a pretzel. And after a month, I took a sip of my drink. And he said, and after 25 years, I'm more in love with my wife than I ever could have imagined. They still do that to this very day. One hour a day. <clears throat> One hour a day. It's the least we can do. I want to tell you a secret tonight. There is no easy way to the life of sanctity, to the life of greatness, and to the life of love. Pope Francis, he had a beautiful quote. He said, never trust a love that sacrifices nothing and never suffers. Never trust a love that sacrifices nothing and never suffers. Because we are always looking for shortcuts. And when I say we, I mean me. Do you guys ever, have you ever noticed how many diet pills are out there? It's really amazing. So one night I was, uh, I got home late. I was just relaxing. I was watching an infomercial. And uh, there was this diet pill. There was this pill you could take. And apparently you could eat like three pizzas and Taco Bell and lose weight. So I was like, well, this is the greatest thing ever. So I ordered it. <clears throat> it's, it's, it's called the, it's called the acai berry. It's a super fruit <clears throat> or a super food or whatever. I don't know what it is. Anyway, it comes from Brazil. I was totally sold on it. I'm like, this is great. And I was sober. I was, <laughs> and I was sitting, and so it showed up and I started taking this pill and just eating away. And it was amazing. I gained 10 pounds just like that. <laughs> Because there are no shortcuts to this. You can't just take a pill, okay? You have to work out. You have to discipline yourself. The one time where I actually did this and it worked, you know, the workout uh, insanity? I still, I'm going to go back to that. I use it, I've used it for, I don't know, five years now since I've done it. Four years since I've done it. I am the only person I know, maybe somebody here, that has started that workout and finished that workout. Anybody else? Nobody ever finishes it. They're like, oh, yeah, it's Sandy. I love that. And I'm like, oh, I was like, did you do all six days? No, it's just month one, man. <laughs> no, I just got two weeks in. But here's the thing. Like when I made that choice, when I made that, dis- that, that, that I'm not taking any shortcuts, like, it was amazing. I was in the best shape I'd been in since college. Now, the thing is I didn't keep that up, <laughs> which is what you need to do. But the point is, is like once you make that decision, once you realize that there is no shortcut and you begin to make that part of your life, it changes everything. Everything. And there's one thing in my life, if I asked you right now, have you been to a talk like this or a retreat or whatever where something was brought up to you and from that day forward, you continued, you, you, you were convicted of it and you said, I need to do this. And from that day forward, you have done it up to the present day. You know, I, I, there, there's some, maybe a few that are like, yeah, I've done it. But there's so many that don't. I think we come to, you know, sometimes we come to retreats. <clears throat> we go to talks. We want to get energized. We want to, I mean, if you don't do concrete things to change your life when you leave here, I've failed. You know, I mean, maybe you're entertained. Maybe you heard some good stories, whatever, but I've failed. I don't give these talks for the money. I don't give these talks to like make myself feel good. I give these talks to hopefully change lives. That Christ will get into you through some word that, that I say through the power of the Spirit and it will radically change your life. And so I'm saying from this day forward, and I'm sure a lot of you guys do this. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying you guys don't pray. I think you do. But that is an absolute mandatory necessity to fall in love with Jesus Christ.
You have to spend time with him. Just waste time with him. It has been the greatest, you guys, there's been so many gifts that I've been given in my life. The greatest thing that has ever happened to me is the gift of the holy hour. Hands down. It is the greatest thing that has happened to me. It is what grounds me. It's what keeps me jacked up, fired up. It's what gives me like the insatiable desire to continue to help and convert and evangelize. When I was, uh, <clears throat> when I was, uh, when I got ordained, you know, you lay prostrate on the floor and they always, they always say it's a very like unique time. It's a very grace filled time and that <clears throat> you should pray about what you desire for your priesthood and you should ask the Lord while you're laying prostrate for the grace that you want, one specific lifetime grace. And so my grace was, <clears throat> as I was laying there and the litany of the saints was being chanted, and I was like bawling, you know, there's like this puddle of snot and tears. And <clears throat> I just remember saying to the Lord, I said, Jesus, Jesus, don't ever stop amazing me in my life. Because my, my life had been just so blessed in so many ways. And it wasn't just like this big happy life. You know what I mean? Like, but I just said, please, Jesus, don't ever stop amazing me in my life. And he said so clearly back to me. He said, then don't ever stop coming to me. The idea being, I'll keep doing crazy stuff in your life. You just let me lead. You just stay with me. Don't you ever leave me. And I think, you guys, that it's one of the greatest gifts we have is the gift of the Holy Hour. The gift that he, I mean, the Eucharist. It's the greatest gift in the world. Right there. God with us. And how many churches are left empty? How many tabernacles are left unvisited? And I think in some ways we, we're afraid to get close to him because we think he's going to ruin our lives. I remember I was on retreat one time. I got a lot of stories from retreat. <laughs> I just realized that. I was like, how many times on this retreat have you said, when I was on retreat, this happened? <laughs> but that's when a lot of beautiful things happen. <clears throat> but I was sitting in the chapel and I was reading St. Paul's litany, you know, of like how his life sucked. <laughs> And like how he was better than everybody else. You remember that one? Uh, anyway, you know, he's like, I was shipwrecked. I've been stoned three times. I've been beaten with rods. I've been scourged 46 times. I've spent a night and a day at sea. And then on top of all this, I got to deal with you. <laughs> That's the best part of that. Anyway, so I was like reading through that. And I was like, man, I was like, Jesus, how cool would it be like if I was like St. Paul? And on a dime, the Lord's like, oh, you can be. And you guys, at that moment, I put the Bible down. I got up and I left the chapel. It freaked me out so much. Why? Why do you suppose it freaked me out? Hmm? Huh? Because it's true, but also what did it entail? Huh? It meant he was calling you to that. Yeah, and suffering, suffering. <laughs> and like intense sack. I was just reading through, and I'm like, man, this sucks. <laughs> and then I'm like, but I wish I could do it. You can. No, you know, like. 
We're such fickle human beings, man. But I mean, he was, he was just so clear. And all of a sudden, I was just flooded with this fear. Was it fear of, of weakness? No, it was fear of greatness. It was fear of great. God the Father was holding out to me the life of St. Paul. And I turned it down. Because I was afraid. St. Therese of Lisieux, one of my favorite quotes from her, is she said, when God holds out his hand asking for something, his hand is never empty. So when he's saying, you can be St. Paul, he's got his hands out saying, you're going to have to give me some stuff, but I got something for you too. Jesus Christ has never taken away anything in my life that I didn't need. It was not Pope Benedict when he said, he said, this relationship with Christ, he said, Jesus takes nothing away from you. He only gives you what you most desire. And so he is the center and fundamental connect point for the human soul and the Trinity. And so we need to learn to spend time with him. The most important thing is to know the most important thing and to keep the most important thing the most important thing. Knowing Jesus Christ is the most important thing you will do in your life. When I end with a prayer from Father Pedro Arupe, <clears throat> he was uh, kind of a little crazy Jesuit, <clears throat> but they all are, you know, a little bit. You ever notice that about the Jesuits? I mean, no, I mean, either they're like really crazy or really holy. There's no middle ground with Jesuits. <clears throat> but anyway, so they were, this was post-Vatican II and... Father Rupe was talking about love. He was, he's like, love is, is so important and we got we to gotta love God and we got to love our neighbor and love, 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 love. And, and one of these old cardinals stood up in the back and he said, that's great, Father, but how about you give us something a little more practical? And on that moment, he said, nothing is more practical than finding God, than falling in love in a quite absolute and final way. What you are in love with, what seizes your imagination, will affect everything. It will decide what will get you out of bed in the morning, what you do with your evenings, how you spend your weekends, what you read, whom you know, what breaks your heart, and what amazes you with joy and gratitude. Fall in love. Stay in love. And it will decide everything. The Holy Hour will help you fall in love. The scriptures will help you stay in love. And once he has you, everything else in your life will be decided. This is why Mother Teresa said, when they asked her, how do you become a saint? She said, you desire God with all of your heart, and he will do the rest. So let's pray a Holy Hour right now with Jesus. And spend time, waste time with him. And realize that this is the most important thing we will do in a given day. And throughout our lives. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen.